And so fate would have it that we're all under this roof today. How incredible. People who've come from across the oceans, from the far corners of the world, those who are able to be present here today in person, as well as those who are joining us online. Incredible. What the power of merit can do. No matter where you are, it will tug at you until you are in the presence of the truth. So we are here. Welcome. Welcome home. Hopefully this will be the beginning of the final journey for all of you. You can start making plans for your retirement. As I did. I'm happily retired, as you can see. Many years earlier than I planned to. But whether you retire in the worldly sense, the temporal sense or not, there's another retirement that I think it's high time you all considered. And with a bit of help from the Mahasangha, you can all arrive at. And that retirement is the retirement from this exhausting journey of sansara. So I often wonder what keeps people from making this leap. For some it's a leap of faith and it's difficult for, to gather up that faith. But for others it is simply a lack of understanding. Understanding the truth. And understanding when fulfilled this jump, I don't necessarily mean to the life of monkhood, but this jump into the sasana, the stream that is the sasana, so that you end in the ocean that is nirvana. That jump is simply, the distance between you and making that jump is just a shortage, something lacking in the understanding, the comprehension of the Dhamma. So we spend our time doing only two things, whatever we do at the monastery here. One is our salvation, because if I don't work on that, I can't help you do yours. That is a given. I don't think any of you expect me to work on your salvation more than I work on mine, do you? Hmm? Shall I teach you science and then learn it myself? How should it work? That way around or the other way around? So, I think both you and I expect the same, working on my salvation. And then the next best thing is to help others work on theirs. Because the truth is, although we take different routes, we're all aiming for the same thing, we all 
seek the same thing. We all yearn for the same thing, and that is to free ourselves, to achieve a lasting happiness, which sometimes seems so close, but yet very far. Sometimes it feels like the next thing you're going to get your hands on, the next thing you can buy, the next thing you're going to watch, the next meal you're going to have. It just seems like you know, that's going to answer all your problems and it's going to keep you happy for the rest of your life. Sometimes it feels like the next person you meet is probably going to do that for you. Or the person you decide to spend the rest of your life with. I've heard couples say, you know, all these fights that we have between us is only until we have a third member in the family. So, as soon as they come along, all our problems will be gone. So they say. Soon enough they realize. <laughs> Not quite so. That is why forever hopeful, but hopeless, hopelessly hopeful. That is why we all need some answers, don't we? You know, the Buddha Sasana is our, is our right. It is our birthright. And not because we are Buddhists. It is because we are all truth seekers. We all seek freedom. That is why it is our right. The Buddha's arrival into this world is not for Buddhists. The first sermon he preached to, how many Buddhists were there in that audience? Kondanya. Was he a Buddhist? Habavapta. Mahanam? None of them are Buddhists. It is said that they were devas, gods, deities. So many that you could fit a hundred thousand of them in the head of a needle. So the, the whole place was just full of sentient beings looking for something. None of them knew what they were looking for, but they were there, hopeful. Their merits brought them there, just as your merits have brought you to the sasana. So that many came looking for the truth. See, even the devas were there, even the brahmas were there, and some wished to become them. So, you know, it, I'm sometimes speechless when I look at your faces and I think to myself the tremendous amount of merits that you must have done to come into the sasana because I'm here and I know what it is like. This is me speaking with conviction. This is not something someone's told me, not something I heard on the grapevine, not something I read on a magazine or watched in a documentary. I'm here because I know I want to be here. I'm here because it feels good. Oh, it feels good. This is where you all need to be. Either literally, or as you are in the sasana. In whichever form, as monks, anagarikas, or silasravikas, or even the lay people. I just don't like to use that name, that lays just sounds very wrong. It's like, you know, people who are laid back or left behind. That's not, that's why last week I reminded you, don't consider that your duty is to 
provide for the sasana and then everyone else can complete this journey and you can come tag along later. That is not what we are here for. The conveyor belt of the sasana requires that you jump on it so that someone else will hop on so that you can hop off. Right? That's the way this works. So in my musings about what keeps you back, what, what stops you, I've been thinking, you know, one of the... Oh, remind me to worship the Buddha, yes, thank you. <laughs> I will, I will, just a moment. One of the things that keeps people back, holds people back, is this, is this attachment to the physical form, to the body. Not so much yours, but, but the bodies that you have to leave behind. That is a very challenging obstacle to overcome. The other bodies, the family bodies, your family, friends, these things. So I thought, and I thought long and hard about this, so long that by the time I'd done my thinking, it was 2 a.m. in the morning. <laughs> so I thought I should make use of the time we have today to take you on a, short, a little journey. To try and use modern science to help convince that the very people that you think you are struggling to leave behind, these bodies, that which belongs to you as well as that which belongs to others, are not what you think they are. So, with a bit of luck, I don't believe in luck now, I believe in merit. And with a bit of luck, I hope that in today's talk we can unravel some of the mysteries that keep you tied back. But before we do that, we have something very important to do. Because we have to renew our pledge. Seven days have passed. I don't know what mischief you've been up to. So we need to renew our pledge, remind ourselves why we are here. That is the Namaskar. I shall incline myself towards my salvation, is the meaning behind the Namaskar, as well as a veneration to the Glorious One, to the Magnificent One, the All-Knowing One, the All-Seeing One. He who knows the path, he who proclaimed the path, he who saw us through well, the sublime one, the most noble one. So let us bring our hands together in veneration of the Supreme Buddha. Namo tassa bhagavato arhato samma sambuddhassa Namo tassa bhagavato arhato samma sambuddhassa Namo tassa bhagavato arhato samma sambuddhassa Any vegetarians in the house? Or vegans? 
All right. So this won't be so difficult then. It's okay. I once myself was a vegetarian for a little while. There's a nice story behind that. Maybe a story for another day. Stop giggling. You're going to give the story away. Because there was a while when I was a real vegetarian and I was a pretend vegetarian. So that's a story for another day. Anyhow, no vegetarians. Okay. So today I want to talk about chicken. You've tried it. You've had it. You know what it's like. You know what it tastes like. It's good, isn't it? Chicken. So when I say the word chicken, you think of a chicken, don't you? A chicken. What does a chicken look like? Well, let's see what a chicken looks like, shall we? What's that? Oh, you don't know what that is? Yes, so I mean, it's not, that's not how they come out of the fridge. <laughs> Yeah, these are the things that come before that. <laughs> we live in a very advanced society these days, so people don't know where their food comes from. In the farm, these little things, they just keep running around, minding their own business. The reason it took me so long to prepare some of the material I wanted to share with you today was because I wanted to talk to you about the story of a chicken from start to end. And then I was, I was confused whether, well, not so much confused, but I, was, I wasn't sure whether I could show you the graphic detail behind how a chicken is processed and then it ends up on your plate because that is not for the faint-hearted. So, because it could be shocking to some people. Perhaps even as shocking as when, I, when we informed the bird that you see on the screen that we are going to be using it to tell you the story. So this chicken was very shocked. Yeah. So when I said this is going to happen, it was very shocked. These images are to replace what I would prefer to have shown you, but then, you know, it's not for the squeamish. <laughs> it's not for the faint-hearted. I want you to be alert throughout this sermon, not just for the first 10 minutes. Because I know some at the sight of blood, or perhaps at the sight of the slaughtering of a, an innocent bird, right? It can do all sorts, so I don't want any unexpected eventualities to deal with. So... A shocked bird, unfortunately, we had to slaughter the bird to take it to the next step, and so we have that. So that's a dead chicken. In a way that you can look at <laughs> and not be shocked yourself, right? So this is a cartoon. Right. End of the, uh, the funny story, so let's carry on from there. I think the remaining, the remaining part of it, 
you're perfectly fine because you know now it's food from here on right it's not a dead animal anymore hmm? feel better yes so we are talking about the story of a chicken you've all eaten chicken right you know you've seen a chicken you've well, if you never had one <laughs> then you've seen one today that's what chickens look like so let's understand the story of this chicken right next one please very familiar this is usually how it comes out of the fridge or this is how you find it in the supermarket aisles yeah in the poultry section and you bring one of these home perhaps freeze it or maybe if you're using it the same day then there are some strings that <laughs> it comes with strings attached <laughs> sorry pardon the pun so but this one has no strings attached and then next it's time to start processing this <clears throat> because you want to cook it so what are we cooking chicken you saw the chicken right at the beginning you saw the chicken so this is still what chicken all right now whilst i relate this story to you ladies and gentlemen i want you to start thinking about how long or till what point you feel that what you're looking at is chicken okay so right now what is it chicken one step back what was it and another one right at the start oh complete chicken right a live breathing chicken then it was headless so there was a headless chicken and now it's a a defeathered chicken but it still got the skin on so we have to keep going forward don't we but it's still what chicken right forward please now what do we have what is that yes a cut chicken yeah but it is still well and truly chicken any doubts not so sure now swaminas i'm not sure that's chicken hmm no this is this is chicken all right carry on what about now what is it still chicken what chicken skinless chicken okay a de-skinned chicken but still very much chicken sure yeah <laughs> you know where this is going i think okay you chicken sorry i mean chicken ah right so now we have uh, seasoned chicken yes this is the seasoned chicken familiar seen it before yes so i mean answer every weekend we do that or when we have a party saturday or sunday <laughs> sunday roast chicken still what any doubts what proportion of this is chicken 50% chicken what is it 100% full and well and truly chicken all right next please how about now how about now i hear some tummies rumbling hello you're in a sermon control yourself lunch is not till 
and then now we are ready to gulp it down yeah so this is usually how most young people these days know chicken that they don't know any of the steps before that but anyhow this is still what chicken any doubts how much of this is chicken 100% chicken next ah end of story or oh, is it what happens after this to this chicken <laughs> what do you eat with this chicken oh sorry what do you do with this chicken you eat it yeah so now you've got your cutlery you've cut it up and you've cooked it to your favorite uh, recipe and now it's time to eat it well let's see what happens then now um, as we try to get this up on screen a disclaimer I, this is not meant to be a lesson in biology so there'll be some vagueness and there'll be a lot of simplification and some of you might think this is just absurd this is not how things work so i'm in mean, answer what are you talking about this is not how science works this is not how the body works this is not how chicken works yes i understand this is not meant to be a discourse on chicken it is meant to be simply for you to understand something something more valuable something behind the story so this is why i say whilst i show this to you i want you to start thinking about what i might be wishing to share with you today because you said right at the beginning that what you saw on screen was a chicken and so far you're still in agreement unanimously that what we are dealing with is chicken so let's see what happens to the chicken next the human digestive system the esophagus and the stomach objectives to explain the movement of food in the esophagus to describe the process of digestion in the stomach the process of digestion begins inside the mouth so what's in the mouth now chicken okay the teeth break down the food into smaller particles it then gets mixed with the saliva in the mouth to form a slurry mass called bolus as the food is swallowed the soft palate blocks the upper throat called the pharynx which prevents the entry of food into the nasal cavity. What's that going down the food, food pipe? When the food passes over chicken. the epiglottis, okay, which is, is a flap-like structure which prevents the entry of food into the trachea. It pushes down the epiglottis. The food then enters the food pipe or esophagus, which connects the pharynx to the stomach. and is gently pushed down to the stomach by wave-like muscle contractions and relaxations known as peristalsis when the food enters the stomach a j-shaped bag like structure mucus hydrochloric acid and digestive juices that are present in the stomach act on the food to help digest it through All right, pause chemical for a action 
Sorry, what's happening now? Digesting what? Chicken. And if you've had a bit of you know, some bad chicken, right? Maybe it's gone off or something like that, or you're just not digesting it well. What happens then? You throw it out, right? And you call it vomit. And then you look at it and go, oh, the chicken that I had this afternoon. <laughs> so it's still chicken, isn't it? Hmm? So now you have eaten chicken. So there's you and there's chicken. Are they the one and the same? No, of course not, because this is you and that is chicken. So you have eaten chicken. Yeah, that is how you feel. And that is what you know, right? You have eaten chicken. All right, let's carry on. The mucous membrane protects the inner wall of the stomach from the effects of the acid. The hydrochloric acid kills the bacteria that enter along with the food. And you thought you were just eating chicken. And also helps in the digestion of proteins. The digestive juices start breaking down the proteins present in the food right, into on. simpler forms. What is it now? Proteins. But hang on a second. What did we eat? Why are you calling it proteins now? <laughs> so what you ate was chicken and now it's protein, is it? So the chicken became protein then. So you need digest chicken, you get protein. Is that how it works? Think about this. Because this will help you to understand what it is that you are attached to. That is why we talk about letting going of nothing. You're attached to a fantasy. But we'll come to that conclusion eventually. Right now, I want you to think about the story of this chicken. You saw the chicken at the beginning. right? We cooked it and then we put it down our mouths. Now it's in the stomach, and now the gastric juices have started doing their thing on it. So digesting, and now you start talking about proteins. So did the chicken become protein then? Think about this. Did the chicken become proteins? If we reverse this process, as in bring the proteins back together, reverse the reactions, do you get the chicken back? Oh, in other words, really, what you get back, would you call it the chicken? Here's the question I want you to think about. Because when you, when you saw that bird at the beginning, you felt that there's a chicken there. That was the chicken that was slaughtered. That was the chicken that was defeathered, deskinned, cooked, eaten, swallowed, and now it's in the stomach and it's begun the digestion process. And now you say, no, so I mean, I said, that's not chicken anymore, that's protein. But you, I think you still will agree that it is you who is digesting that protein. We've gone that far now, haven't we? From I ate the chicken to I am now digesting what? Proteins. So these are complex proteins. 
Let's carry on and see what happens next. Muscular contractions in the stomach churn this food mass to further break it down and mix it with secretions in the stomach to form a thick liquid. This thick liquid is called chyme. The chyme exits the stomach through peristaltic movements and enters the small intestine where most of the digestion occurs. To summarize, the muscles of the esophagus gently push the food down to the stomach by wave-like muscle contractions known as peristalsis. The stomach cells secrete mucus, hydrochloric acid, and digestive juices that help digest food through chemical action. Digestive juices break down proteins into simpler forms. All right. So let's see where we are so far. There was you. And you ate what? Chicken. So you ate chicken. So you are a separate entity, and so is the chicken. Okay? Are these one and the same? No, not the answer you're going to give at the end of the talk. I mean, for now. Hmm? For now, it was you are a separate being, and the chicken was a separate being, so you ate the chicken, right? You had no guilt about it. You know, you didn't feel like you were... No, let's not go there, right? So, so there's you and there's the chicken, right? So now the chicken went down to the gut and now it's, it's going through this uh, digestion process and it's now broken down into what? Proteins. So much so that at this point, you'd probably stop calling it chicken, wouldn't you? And you start calling it proteins. Yeah? At this point, you'll probably start calling it proteins and not chicken anymore. But it's still you that's now digesting the proteins. Previously you ate the chicken and now you're digesting the proteins. Yeah? All right, let's go on to the next video. Proteins are important nutrients that your body uses to build cellular structures that carry out vital functions. In fact, the basic building blocks of proteins are so important to your cells that if you did not consume protein, it would be like trying to build a house without tools or nails. In this lesson, you will learn how proteins are broken down into their basic units called amino acids. Hold on. What you show there, saw there was a visual representation of what a protein is. A very simplified visual representation nonetheless. See, so these are what proteins are. These are what they call amino acids. These are the bonds, the peptide bonds. and Long chains of these amino acids are referred to as proteins. So where's the chicken now? You ate chicken, and then in the gut it, was, it began the digestion process and broke it down to complex protein molecules. And these complex protein molecules are nothing more than 
amino acids or amino acids, whichever way you want to pronounce it, and the bonds that are between them. But still, you'll say you are now digesting, digesting and you're about to absorb the what? The amino acid chains or the proteins. Right? Let's carry on. Amino acids are absorbed through the small intestine wall and used by your body to build cellular structures and components. Now, when we talk about digestion, we look at protein as a large molecule composed of one or more chains of amino acids. When you feel hungry, you typically think of protein as a food such as eggs, milk, meat, nuts, or beans. Regardless of which way you want to look at protein, one fact remains, and that is amino acids are the basic building blocks of protein. Now the term building block is a good way to describe amino acids because they are literally used by your body for building biological substances. In fact, many of these biological substances are actually specialized proteins. So you might eat an egg for breakfast, and once you swallow it, enzymes break down the protein in the egg into amino acids. Then those free amino acids recombine in different ways to form specialized proteins. Hold on a second. Did you catch what was just said there? The enzymes start working on the proteins to digest or break them down, and then they are reconstructed. In other words, reconfigured. So what you ate was chicken. Now I need you to start to think about what chicken actually is. Because when you look at a chicken, you think there's a chicken there. You think something more than what you're seeing now is there. You think there's a being there. Don't you? Isn't that why when you sometimes you know, say you go to a farm, right? In some places you can go to a farm right, your local farm, and then they, they, they let you play with the, with, the, with the animals there. You can pet them, you can feed them, and so on, right, in some farms they do that. So when you walk into a farm, maybe with your children, and you say, you know, go and play with the, the animals, right, so they, they, they give you the chicken, and then you see the children pet them, and you hold the chicken, and you go, oh, go, go, go. <laughs> so, you know, you're, you feel like, you know, what do you feel? When you hold a chicken in your hands, what do you feel? There's an animal there, isn't there? There's a being there. Now we know that all, you, all there is is a mind and body. Like I said, the reason that you're still there and not here is not because of the mind problem. It's because of the body problem. Because you can't leave behind the bodies that you think. That is the big word here. The bodies that you think are your son, your daughter, Hmm? Your wife, your husband, your mother, your father, your friends, your pet dog, maybe your pet chicken. Because when you're here, you're still here with your mind. But what you can't leave behind are those bodies. Because you know that's the only thing that you're, depart you're, you're departed from, isn't it? Everything about you, you can bring here, except for the bodies that you have to leave behind. Now when we come into the sasana as a monk, or an anagarika, an anagarika, Right? We bring everything else, but we can't bring our family here unless they wish to come with us. So what we are departing ourselves from are those bodies that we call family. Now, what does this body entail? So I'm taking you on the journey of a chicken, and I'll leave it to you to start thinking about, well, what's my son then? Who's my wife then? If it is mind and body, 
right? I'm talking to you about the story of the body. We've spoken quite a few, a few times about what the mind is. An object coming into contact with us, with the eye, the ear, the nose, the tongue, right? This gives rise to a consciousness. This gives rise to a thought. As you look at yourself in the mirror, or as you look at someone that you know, someone you like, someone you love, right? You feel that the person that you love is there, don't you? When you hold your little one's hand, don't you feel a motherly or a fatherly affection? I ask you. Hmm? You don't feel that you're holding on to a chicken, do you? Not until today, though. <laughs> Perhaps after today, if this starts to make sense, you will begin to interpret what you see out there in a different light. Not so that you can start thinking you live in a chicken farm, that's not what I'm hoping for, but it's to help you to jump, make that jump, make that leap. To help you to realize that what you think is out there is not really out there. So we've come as far as amino acids. Complex proteins and the digestion process continues. Let's see what happens next. They might become different things such as enzymes or antibodies or hormones, or they might become structural proteins such as muscle proteins or collagen found in connective tissue. Now it's good to keep in mind that protein digestion is not as simple as eating an egg and magically getting amino acids. A large protein molecule breaks down via a few intermediate steps in the stomach and in the small intestine before it becomes the tiny amino acids. So let's take a look at how proteins are broken down by your digestive system. So protein digestion begins in the stomach with the action of an enzyme that we previously learned about called pepsin. Pepsin is the active protein digesting enzyme of the stomach. When pepsin acts on the protein molecule, it breaks the bonds that hold the protein molecule together called peptide bonds. So you can think of pepsin as the enzyme that breaks peptide bonds. When these bonds are broken, you get chains of amino acids linked together called polypeptides. Now since we know the prefix poly means many, we can easily recall that a polypeptide is many amino acid units joined together. All right, hold on a second. So, as a reminder, the whole purpose of me showing you this and demonstrating this in this, in this manner, this is not meant to be a science lesson. What it's meant to be is to help you to understand what did you just eat, because you thought you were eating chicken. You thought you were eating chicken. And you thought it was you who ate the chicken, right? That's fine. Still, you think there's the you, but now we think I'm here and we are trying to figure out what's happening to the chicken. The chicken is no longer, but I'm still here because I'm now digesting the proteins that the chicken was made of. So at the beginning, you know, there were two entities, weren't there? You and the chicken. But now it seems like there's no longer chicken, but actually what there is is proteins. But you are still here, aren't, there? aren't you? You're still here and the protein digestion is continuing. So this, this, this demonstration is simply to show you what do you actually mean by chicken and how it's all really just a bunch of proteins put together and how the proteins are just a bunch of amino acids and the bonds between them put together, right? And what happens next, we will see. Carry on, please. Peptides then move into your small intestine where digestion will be completed by additional enzymes. Now in the small intestine, pancreatic enzymes that we previously learned about called trypsin, 
chymotrypsin, and carboxypeptidase really go to work breaking down the polypeptides. These enzymes enter the duodenum via the pancreatic duct. These pancreatic enzymes are helped by the brush border enzymes. We previously learned that the brush border enzymes are special enzymes found on the microvilli of the small intestine that complete digestion. The peptide bonds holding the polypeptides together continue to be hydrolyzed or broken down and result in smaller units called peptides. Peptides are simply defined right, as two or more. So what's the body doing right now? Breaking things down. Why is it breaking things down? So that it could be what? Absorbed and then what done what with? Rearranged. What the body is doing is breaking down what you put in so it could be ingested and then rearranged. Now I need you to start thinking. What are you then? See, this is what we've been going on about. You are merely a rearrangement of what you put in through your mouths. So where's the chicken? This perception of a chicken as being an entity when you look at one, where is that chicken? Because at the end of the day, it's just stuff arranged in a certain order. Stuff arranged in a different order. So where's your friend? Where's your son? Where's your daughter? That person that you see at home, the person you see in the mirror, and you think, this is me. Which part of you is me? Yes, there's a mind, there's a body. And I'm talking about the body today. Oftentimes we talk about the mind, we say, just ignore the body. right? But there's a problem with that, because typically, the mind is so attached to the body, it takes this whole unit as one. It takes this whole unit as one. And when you identify with the body, you have to identify yourself with this. That is why you said, this is my hand. This is my arm. Which part of this arm is yours? And honestly, when does it start becoming yours? Think about it. Was the chicken yours? You know the chicken that was running around in the farm? Was that yours? No, that was the farmer's, right? So then the farmer butchered the animal, sold it at the supermarket, you went and bought it. Right? Is it yours now? You'll say, yes, Swami because I paid for it. Well, that's just a commercial transaction. That's just permission for you to walk home with it. Right? That doesn't somehow magically make it yours. That feeling of, you know, it is mine. Where does that come from? So at what point does it become yours? Is it after it has digested and broken down into the amino acids? Is, is it now yours? When does it become yours? Because you say, this is my hand, this is my finger, this is my body, this is my eyes. These are my muscles, my body, you know? You, you talk about yours. So I'm asking you, at what point does it stop being the chickens and start being yours? You know, the meat that you saw at the beginning, the flesh, whose was that? Chickens. So when does it start becoming yours then? At what point does it become yours? Is my, is my question to you. I need you to think about this. These questions will reveal the truth to you. 
these questions and the answers, I'm not going to give you the answers. Those answers should, should come up in your own minds. I'll, I'll just ask you the questions. You come up with your own answers. Okay? So at what point does what you put in your, into your mouth, the chicken, become your hand? A part of your body, your muscle. Because after all, all of this, I think most, well, pretty much all, pretty much all of it is protein. Right? So your, your, your carbohydrates, your lipids, you know, those are your fats or your energy stores. But your muscle mass, you know, your body, much of it is protein. Even, even the hairs that are on your body, these are, these are proteins. Right? So all of this is made of the stuff that you put into your mouth. So if you took a strand of hair into your hand, ladies and gentlemen, I ask you, is that yours? What would the chicken say? Tell me. <laughs> when, you, <laughs> when you claim a strand of hair is yours, hmm? or a piece of your body, as a muscle, a finger, and you, you said, hey chicken, this is my finger, what do you think the chicken's going to say? <laughs> What's the chicken going to say? The chicken's going to say what? No, that's, that's me. That's my breast. That's my wing. That's my leg. Huh? But you say, no, it's my leg. So whose leg is it? <laughs> so you chicken legs, right? Or chicken wings? Hmm? Whose is it? At what point does it be, stop being the chicken's and start being yours? Where is this, at what point does that transformation happen? Where, you know, what is that, what is that point where you can say, in, it's now no longer the chickens and it is now mine? Where do you draw that line? See, now I need you to start thinking, well, if you can't really draw that line, is it not a mere perception? Is it just not the way we feel about it? So where is the sense of belonging then? Does, is, is belonging a characteristic of an object or is it merely a perception that you have in your mind? So when you hold your little one's hand, whose hand are you holding on to? I ask you. What about if we cut the chicken in two, right? You have one half and your wife has the other half. Okay. Now the muscle that goes into, the muscle that is now made of the chicken that you ate, right? Whose is whose? Previously it was all from the same chicken, right? So is she the chicken or are you the chicken? Who's the chicken? Aren't you both made of the same stuff? Then tell me this. If you hold your right hand up, so this is my left, and your left, which is my right, right? And you held your hands together like this, you know, you don't have a tingling feeling that runs down your spine, does it? Do you? You don't have like the bodies of your hair standing up. You don't feel like that. But hold the hand of your loved one. And what do you feel? You feel magic, don't you? What are you really holding on to? Chicken. Because you went to the restaurant. Hear me out. You went in the restaurant. You ordered a dish. And you ask, you know, would you like to have something? No, I'm just going to have half of whatever you're going to have. Even better, right? 
So let's guess that's what we do. You know, when we love each other, we have to share everything, right? Including the chicken. So the chicken comes on the on you know the, a full chicken, cooked chicken, right? Arrives on the on the table. You cut it, and she eats half. You eat the other half. After you've eaten that, you hold your hands. <laughs> but when you touch that chicken, what did you feel? Did you feel that 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 tingling sensation? Hmm? Did you start to? Did your heart start beating faster? No. What about when you start when you touch her half of the chicken? <laughs> did you feel anything special? No. But what about after she's eaten the chicken? And the digestion process takes place. It breaks down into the amino acids. And I'm, I'm, going to take, I'm going to take you on that journey right until the end where you realize that you are nothing more than what you eat. These bodies that you see. Now we're going to start talking about DNA in just a moment. How that is just the blueprint of how things are rearranged. Because I, I just want to get this idea into your minds. That you are merely the food that you put into your mouth rearranged. That's it. Because once you get that, folks, this is kaya kaya nupasivi Your body is simply the aggregation, rearrangement of stuff. Atapi sampajano. Come to your senses. Heedfully come to your senses. So I'm going to take you on that journey. And if you, after, <laughs> after the end of this, still want to go home <laughs> because you want to be with someone, what a chicken. <laughs> All right, let's carry on. Enzymes continue to break down polypeptides and peptides into amino acids. Because amino acids are very small, they're able to be absorbed through the small intestine lining and into your bloodstream. Now it's important to note that digested nutrients that leave the digestive tract take a detour to the liver before entering the general bloodstream. Your liver is an important organ and this detour allows your liver to have first claim at nutrients coming from the digestive tract. It's almost like the liver is king and it gets first dibs at the good nutrients then when it takes its fill the rest of the body has the leftovers. Right, so, so far there was you you ate chicken, right? So you first, there was a chicken running around, an animal, and there was an animal, wasn't there? A being, full-blown being, yeah? Just like, you know, you have your family, the chicken has its family, right? Yeah, yeah. So what you did was, you took the chicken from its family, right? And then you slaughtered it, right? And then you cooked it, and then you ate it. In your stomach, it started digesting. Large proteins became smaller proteins, right? With the work of the enzymes that are going on in there, and then down to the amino acids. And the amino acids are now ingested through your intestines, and it's now beginning to circulate throughout the body. Yeah? Okay so far? Good, right. Now, from here on, I'm going to talk to you about how the rearrangement takes place. Okay, because what is chicken after all? Amino acids arranged in a certain order. So if this was the chicken that you ate, and this was the, these were the proteins, because these proteins, you know, it's like, like the keratin, right? Or whatever goes into making a chicken, 
Because the, the proteins that a chicken needs may be different to the proteins that you need. Because you're human, right? So you need human muscle, not chicken muscle. So what is the difference between chicken muscle and human muscle then? Rearrangement, that's it. So what if you ate a feather? That is to gain protein. If you could digest it, I don't know if you can, but say you could, if you could digest it, it would simply be rearranged. So much so that I want you to understand that the process of digestion is simply breaking things down so that in your body they can be rearranged in a way, yes, according to the blueprint, right? It could be rearranged in a way that what you think you are can be made of that. It's just building blocks. Remember we brought the Lego some weeks ago, right? And we talked about Jasaya and Lenjina. Yeah? How one part of Jasaya can become another part of Lenjina. And how it is an apple tree. And it then goes into becoming uh, an apple fruit. And then goes to making your nose and all that. Right? Today I'm, I'm explaining to you the science behind all this. And that was not just a made up story. This is the truth. Now you might wonder, well, if scientists under, have understood all of this, then why aren't all scientists arahants? The fact of the matter is this, ladies and gentlemen. They understand the science, but what they don't understand is where Dukkha comes from. They don't understand Dukkha. What is the first noble truth? Not the first noble truth of suffering. Let's stop saying that. It's not the first noble truth of suffering. It's the first noble truth of Dukkha or Jati. It is the feeling, the perception of a one or, or an entity a fixed entity. This is that feeling, this is that perception, because nirvana is nirvana of the mind, nothing to do with the body. When you come to realization of this truth, nothing about the body changes. What scientists do is they study the body and how the body is made up of. They keep splitting things down, breaking things up. Right? They can go as far as the nucleus and then keep, keep digging until they'll come to the atomic structure, but they're still looking at it and observing it as a sentient being. See, there's still you. What are we doing here? What are we breaking down? The chicken that you ate. You're still here. So you, the observer, are looking at the chicken, trying to figure out what happened to the chicken. But I'm still here. Because here, we are observing this with a mind. What we are studying here is the science behind the body. This is why no amount of dissection, no amount of breaking things down will bring you the answer that the Buddha gave you. Because the Four Noble Truths talks about something that happens in the mind, the perception, the perception of a self, the perception of a fixed entity, the perception of, of one being. But we are breaking down the body here. You've understood the mind to some extent. We'll talk about it if we have time left at the end of this. Right? And, and actually bring both parts together and see where the mind is, what the body is, and then with the two of them together, well, who are you at the end of it? Okay, so this is the... Now, where we stopped was in the gut, the digestion has now taken place, it has been ingested. Right? Ingestion is the absorption of these nutrients into the, into the circulatory system, and now the circulatory system has taken the amino acids to other parts of the body where it is going to be used for protein synthesis. In other words, rearrangement. 
So this is now a factory where you put in the raw materials and it's, it, it begins to make the materials that are necessary to produce parts of the body, the cellular structures, the enzymes, and various other things. Let's see how that works. So that's the cell. In most human cells, there is a structure called the nucleus. The nucleus contains the genome. In humans, the genome is split between 23 pairs of chromosomes. Each chromosome contains a long strand of DNA, tightly packaged around proteins called histones. Within the DNA are sections called genes. These genes contain the instructions for making proteins. Hold on. So what did you hear there? Genes contain the instruction for making proteins. So now you have the blueprint. So your DNA is, if you can think of it as the architect. Right? It's now got the blueprint according to which what's going to happen. The proteins that you have ingested, having been broken down into the amino acids, are now going to be rearranged. Is it still chicken? What do you think? In your blood. <laughs> the amino acids now running in your blood. Do you, would you still call it chicken? See, now you've stopped calling it chicken, but did it not come from a chicken? Or did it? Did it come from a chicken? What was a chicken then? Just one arrangement of amino acids and the proteins that then make that up. And those proteins and their combinations and their arrangements, right? When arranged to a certain, in, a, in a certain fashion, in a particular order, according to the DNA in the chicken or in the chicken cells, you have a chicken. Because actually all that is is, you know, it's like, it's like an, it's like, Imagine if you had, um, if you had some, some colored paint, okay? Imagine if you had some colored paint and you threw that paint onto a frame, say an iron frame, okay? The paint is now going to take off the frame, take the, the, the shape of the frame, is it not? As it touches the, the, the metal, right? And it's going to take the, the, the shape of the frame. And in the same way, these amino acids, I show them a blueprint. They'll be rearranged through a various through, through the process of protein synthesis according well, accordingly, and those proteins can then be conjugated, brought together, recombined, right, to form the structures that you see. So the same proteins, right, in your body can produce your eyes, your ears, your nose, your tongue, you know, and the various parts of your body. Because inside each of these parts of the body is a DNA, is a blueprint that dictates how the amino acids should be rearranged. That's why the same protein that you eat, you know, as it goes, in, uh, goes up here, it forms your face. Right? As it go, goes in here, it forms your shoulders, your stomach. Uh, your legs, your feet, and various parts of the body. Now, the chromosomes themselves, you know, that comes from your parents. Again, that's a cell. That's one half comes from your mother, the other half comes from your father. So when these two combine, now you have traits that are similar to your parents. See, the science behind it, I need you to look at through the lens of the Dhamma. This is science you'll have learned at school. Most of you will have learned this at school. Most of you, if not all of you. 
You'll, you'll even have learnt about the stuff that you're going to see in just a moment. Right? Maybe not the little children here, but most of you will have learned this at school. So this is nothing new. But what is new here is I'm asking you the question, what is you then? Who are you? Who is this you that you perceive? Where's the chicken? Carry on. When a gene is switched on, an enzyme called RNA polymerase attaches to the start of the gene. It moves along the DNA, making a strand of messenger RNA out of free bases in the nucleus. The DNA code determines the order in which the free bases are added to the right, messenger RNA. See what's going on there? The DNA helix, which is something like this, right, is, it has been unfolded so that a copy can be made from it. Right? So this is now taken a copy of the, of the blueprint so that it can then make the template, if you like, the template for the configuration or the arrangement of the amino acids. See, this is all, you know, you could look at this and wonder, who designed all this? It seems almost, you know, someone put in a lot of thought into engineering all this. You know, this is wonderful engineering. Who designed all this? More on that another day. Who designed all this? Because when you, as scientists start looking at all this, you know, they wonder, you know, the, the thought, the thinking that must have gone into engineering this, you know, how the, the, the reactions take place, the enzymes. In a moment, you'll see the number of protein enzymes that go into just, just making one single strand of amino acids is mind-boggling. So there must have been someone who did all this. So then they look up for answers. As you see this process, as you watch this, I want you, to, I want you to ask this question as well. Where's the male and where's the female? Right, so a problem that a lot of males have is an attachment that they feel to the female. A problem that females have is an attachment that they feel to the males. This is typically, okay? There can be other combinations, but typically that is so. So where's the male, where's the female? Which part of a person do you say is male? Is it the mind or is it the body? You don't know what the mind looks like, do you? Have you ever seen it? Can you touch it? Can you hold it? No. But what you touch, what you feel, what you see is the, is the body. So then you think that the body is the female. The body is the male. And then you start forming bonds towards them. Attraction, affection. Desire, lust, and so on. So watch this, and as you watch this, ask yourself the question, where is the male? As you look for the chicken, also look for the male. Where's the male? Where's the female? Right, let's carry on. This process is called transcription. Before the messenger RNA can be used as a template for the production of proteins, it needs to be processed. This involves removing and adding sections of RNA. The messenger RNA then moves out of the nucleus into the cytoplasm. Hold on a second. So just uh, very simply, what the cytoplasm is, if this is the cell, that is the nucleus, right where you have the DNA, 
right? So the uh, transcription has now happened. So you have the what you call the mRNA, the messenger RNA. So this was the DNA, this is the RNA, and now it has now escaped into the cytoplasm, which is where the remainder of the magic is going to happen. Okay? Protein factories in the cytoplasm, called ribosomes, bind to the messenger RNA. The ribosome reads the code in the messenger RNA to produce a chain. Right. Now you see... You see that molecule there, right? That looks like this. Do you know what's that there? That blob? That pink thing? Let's carry on. Made up of amino acids. Aha! There are 20 different types of amino acid. Transfer RNA molecules carry the amino acids to the ribosome. The messenger RNA is read three bases at a time. As each triplet is read, a transfer RNA delivers the corresponding amino acid. So now, where did these amino acids come from? Are you still convinced that that is still chicken? Do you still think that is chicken inside your cell? Is that chicken amino acids? Where's the chicken then? So where are you then? See now these amino acids, they're bonded together. You know, this that was previously ingested or digested, right? Remember what, the, the, what this digestion process does? It breaks things down so that they can be done what with? Rearranged. That's exactly what's happening now. But the code for that rearrangement was contained in your DNA. That is what's happening. See, your DNA dictates how the chicken or the amino acids that was contained in the chicken should be rearranged so that in a moment it is no longer chicken, but human. The same amino acids. The same amino acids. It was the same carbon, the same oxygens, the, the same hydrogen, the same nitrogens. That is what they are made of, CHON3. Oh, C-H-O-N, and a combination of these. That's what you have in proteins. So the same carbon that was in the chicken is now forming a new protein chain. But now you'll no longer call it chicken. Carry on, please. This is added to a growing chain of amino acids. Once the last amino acid has been added, the chain folds into a complex 3D shape to form the protein. Protein becomes protein. But previously you said there was chicken protein and now it's human protein. How so? Is there anything more than a rearrangement of matter? Energy is required to break things down and to rearrange. That is what energy does. Right, so for all this to function, you need energy. So that is what your, your, your bodies do. You know, the, the carbohydrates that you eat, like the glucose molecules that go in, you know, they, they produce the energy for all this to happen. 
It's now in a dead body, these things don't happen because there is no energy source. The mind is required for all this to be orchestrated in a perfect fashion, right? And the, and the bodily physiology is required. You know, that's why when something doesn't work, you take this to the doctor. So what the doctor does is they figure out why things don't happen as they should. That is all they do. Because they, they deal with the body. And what is the body if not just what you ate rearranged? You know, when was the last time you ate human meat or human flesh? You nev you've never done that, right? But from the day you were born to this day, you've been eating carrots and pumpkins and beans, right? And tomatoes and potatoes. You've been eating chicken and fish and egg, various other things. So where's all of that gone? How many chickens have you eaten by now? How many fish have you eaten by now? How many, how many types of vegetables have you eaten by now? How many carrots have you consumed by now? Where's all that gone? It's all rearranged. So that is what you are. Just matter rearranged. So then if that is just matter rearranged, why do you look at this rearrangement and feel or perceive that there is a sentient being here? What gives? Why do you look at a rearrangement of matter and give it, I mean, conventionally we need a name for it, absolutely. That's why a recycled plastic bottle can be, you know, a pen today. And we say this is a pen, but that is a plastic bottle. But let's not forget that this is merely a rearrangement of matter. So where's you then? I'll ask you the question, where's you? Where are these people that you can't leave behind? Where are these people that you're so attached to? Where are they? Where's your brother? Where's your daughter that you can't leave behind? Where's your mother? Who's your mother? Mind and matter. What you just saw was how matter is formed. We've spoken plenty times about how the mind is formed. Right? Under this very roof, in this very room, we've spoken plenty of times how the, how, the, how the mind is formed. As the eye comes into contact with the sight, right, you get rupa, vedana, sanya, sankara and vijnana. This is the mind. So where is me in the mind? Where is self? Where's this entity that you feel is there, you know, this, this entity that has always been there, that's there today, that will be there in the future. If a thought is merely something that arises and passes away, <clears throat> and it only lasts the duration of a thought moment, where is this entity that you feel have, has been around, you know, from the beginning of time? From your birth till now, you know, you say, I am 25 years old, 35 years old, 40 years old. Where is that person who's 40 years old? It is simply mind and matter. Well, if the matter is just the food that you consumed reconfigured, and your mind is just Rupa Vedana, Sanya, Sankara and Vijnana in one thought moment, then what's left? What's left? There's nothing left. But due to ignorance, due to ignorance, this chitta that arises is hijacked. 
just as consciousness is formed by an object coming into contact with the sense organ in the same way jati is formed when ignorance lays on the platform on which a chitta is born and due to attachment jati happens that is why the buddha says attachment or tanha is the cause of well, what we call suffering but really the term is jati this is dukkha so when jati happens in the mind now that very mind that very thought that very consciousness begins to perceive a fixed entity the entity that you believe right now is you and then when that happens folks you now have things that belong see i asked you the question when did the chicken stop being chicken and start being you do you have an answer to this question now at what point in that process did it stop being chicken and start being you but you don't look at your your muscle your body you you don't you never look at it and say that is chicken do you you never say that you say this is me but you don't you never look at a chicken and say that is me that is a chicken and this is me so in other words you will say that muscle belongs to the chicken and this muscle belongs to me i'm asking you where is that sense of belonging coming from because everything must have a cause you don't have things just mad- appearing out of thin air or you know it's nothing there's nothing magical here everything has to have a cause cause and effect so everything under the sun should be able to be explained by the principle of cause and effect what i've just done is taken you through the journey of explaining matter through the teaching of cause and effect you are what you eat it is so true you are what you eat just reconfigured according to your dna then your thoughts that you have are simply your sense organs coming into contact with the objects that are, are available in the, in the in your environment and when the two of them contact the chitta is born consciousness is born so these are the two things that you are what else you are nothing else nothing more but you, that doesn't stop you from perceiving when you see your loved ones when you see your brother when you see your sister when you see your son or daughter you think that there is there is something more than mind and matter there don't you don't you honestly feel that so you know if we were to cut if they were to, you know if they were to cut a finger right of someone you know right chop their finger off and 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 held it to you and asked you what is this you'd say that is my my son's finger ask the chicken's mother chicken's mother <laughs> what would the hen say that is my that is my son's finger <laughs> so whose son's finger is it <clears throat> hmm? so you kill the young bird in front of its mother right imagine the chicken had a finger now you take the finger and you feed your son and then it grows the son's finger cut it off and ask the two mothers whose is it your mother will say that is my son's finger and the chicken's mother will say that is my son's finger so how do you how do you settle the score whose finger is it you know these are really important questions to try and find answers to ladies and gentlemen you know this is not just a discussion that we have you know once a week these are the problems that riddle your life this is the veil that you have to pull out and and try and observe try and find out the 11 great fires that lie behind it 
You know, for as long as you feel that there is an entity and things that belong to that entity, you will suffer. What is loss? Loss of what? Loss of something you like. Loss of something you love. Right? When did it become the thing that you love? Is the question I have, have to ask you. If you lose a bit of chicken from your fridge, right, let's just say you left some chicken on the, on the pantry, right? the, the cat got news that you, it's, you know, there's going to be chicken for dinner, so it realized there was a chicken in the, maybe on the sink, uh, put there for washing, and the cat came and it ate some of the chicken. Right? How much would you suffer as a result of that? The cat ate some of the chicken. Right? You'll probably chase the cat away, Right? But not any more than that. Like you're not going to like suffer. You're not going to grieve about it, are you? Because the cat has eaten some of the chicken. But what if that very chicken, that piece of chicken, when eaten by, by, your, by your child, right? that boy, the boy goes missing. Someone's abducted your child. Hmm? Previously, the cat ate the chicken. And the cat ran away, and you're not grieving, you're just a bit upset. But now your child, your boy ate the, ate the chicken, and now the boy's gone missing. How do you feel? Same way? No, very different. Now you begin to grieve, because you begin to experience loss. Is it not the same piece of chicken that went missing? No? You understand what I'm presenting to you, right? Yeah, you understand the argument. The cat ate the chicken and ran away. You don't feel grievance. But your boy ate the chicken and then someone abducted your child and now you feel grievance. You feel loss. See, tanhai jayati soko. Attachment is what gives rise to this feeling, this feeling of loss. At what point did it stop being chicken and start being your child, your son, your daughter, the part of you? Where do you draw that line? It is simply a perception. This is, what I, that, this is what we keep coming back to. It is simply a perception. This perception that you have in your mind is what torments you day and night. This is why you suffer. This is why no amount of material wealth or no amount of material gain is ever going to keep you, give you that freedom, give you that, that, that freedom or that sense of mind, that peace of mind. It's never going to give you that. Because for as long as you see entities, you're always going to deal with entities, the, the entities that you perceive. There's only one way you can stop this. And that is to understand, not the matter. Because that is what scientists do all day long. Right? Doctors, they cut open bodies. Right? You know, there'll, have, there'll be doctors who will have cut open many hundreds, if not thousands of bodies. Right? But that doesn't help them realize that there is no being here. In fact, if they have to perform that on somebody, on an operation on somebody, they'll say, I cut open someone. That's how they say, I cut open someone. That someone feeling is always going to be there. Because that someone is not in the body. That is why cutting open it or cutting it open is not going to do away with it. That's why you can't dismember a body and then lose the sense of identification. They lose that sense of, you know, that, that sentient being, feeling. You can't lose it. You can't let go of it. <clears throat> <clears throat> throat> 
excuse me. Not that way, you can't do it. You can't sever a body, sever its limbs, right? Cut it down into so many pieces and say, you know, the next, the, by the next piece I cut, you know, that, that's, that feeling of sentient beingness is going to go away. It doesn't work like that. Because you'll always feel that you're cutting up someone. Just like you took a carrot and cut it, cut it down, you feel like you're slicing the carrot. Remember last week I tore this leaf in half and you said that is one half and here's the other half of that one leaf. Remember? Because that feeling, that perception is not in the leaf. So therefore breaking it down doesn't take it away. Because it was never there. Now you'll just say it's a broken leaf or a torn leaf, a broken body. Things break. Where is the thing then? That's in your mind. So what you perceive, you then project onto the outside world objects. And then when things happen to it, when things happen, you feel that things are happening to this entity that you perceive. So what is death then? When did the chicken die? Hmm? When did the chicken die? Was there a chicken to die? Yes, there was the mind no longer occurring in that body. Yes. That is why in Buddhist philosophy, death is interpreted as the mind being separated, or rather the environment for a mind to be, to be produced being separated from the body. That is how Buddhist philosophy defines death. Not the death of a being. It's not the death of a being, because there are no beings to die. If the mind is no longer able to, uh, to, to be born in the environment that is the body, you call that death. That's it. That's why you call it the dead body. You don't call it the dead mind, do you? The dead body. What does it mean, what does it mean by a dead body? A body in which the mind doesn't arise is a dead body. See, this is a dead body. Conventionally, you don't call it a dead body because the mind never arose based on this or in this object. But in this, these objects, minds arise. But those minds are not intrinsically attached to the body. That is why you can be possessed. They're not intrinsically attached to the body. It's, it just, it's, it's almost like coincidence. You know, this mind arises in this body. And you know, it's not your mind. Although you feel that way, this is my mind, you know, I'm minding my own business, why can't you mind yours? Right? When you talk about minds, your minds, their minds, his mind, you know, there are no, there's no sense of belonging, full stop. You perceive belonging because you perceive separation. That is why last week we talked about jati and typing. Not this typing, but typification. How, how we type things, right? as in group things. Right? How, how, we, how, we, how we have the sense of belonging that things belong to some things and other things belong to other things. You know, is this, does this cap belong to this pen? Could I not take this cap and put it on another pen? Would it not work just fine? Wouldn't it? It would. What about the battery that runs this, this, this clock? Does that battery belong to this clock? Couldn't that battery run in another, in another device? It could do just, just fine, just as well. But you have this sense that this battery belongs to this clock. You have a sense that this cap belongs to this pen. It is simply your perception. Because in your mind, jati happens. 
And that jati is the root of all evilness as well as all suffering that goes on in the mind. Now you know how jati happens. That is why you're here. You know that jati is something that happens. That is why you're here. Did you get that? You're here because you know that jati is something that happens. In other words, there are causes that determine its result or its occurrence. It's, it's, it's spawning. That is why we are here. Parichasamuppada is that. The process that describes how jati happens. That's why it starts with the ignorance. Ignorance of what? Ignorance is the ignorance of ignorance. That is what ignorance is. When you are ignorant about jati, in other words, when you think jati is not jati, but jati is me, right? when you feel that way, that in itself is ignorance. So when you feel that jati is me, then you no longer, you, you, know, you have no need to make it stop, do you? If jati is me, why would I make it stop? But when you realize that jati is suffering, it is not me, it is simply the perception of me. It's only, you know, it's only a, like a hallucination. It's like a dream. It's not real. It's just a fake me. It's not a real me. It's just a sense of me. Once you realize that, then you wonder, so what's the deal? You know, is, is it good to have? You know, what's, what's, the, what's the problem with this sense of me? Well, the sense of me is what brings you all types of suffering. Now you have a problem. So if that is the case, how do I make it stop? Well, to make it stop, you need to, rea- you need to realize that it is something that is d- dependent on causes. The only reason you can put out a fire is because you know that it is based on causes. If you didn't know that, you would never be able to put out a fire, would you? So if this fire you want to put out, then the same concept applies. We are all here because we understand that suffering is based in causes. There are causes that make it happen. So we understand the causes and you've seen the way out of it. So now we look at jati. So where's the chicken then? We all ate chicken. You've all had chicken. Where is that chicken gone? Are you now that chicken? Are you that chicken? Did you eat chicken then? Hmm? Did you eat chicken? But would it be wrong to use the word chicken? What do you think? Yeah, absolutely. Because it is a name that we give to a configuration, an arrangement of matter. Right? That is absolutely fine. It would be utterly useless and wrong for anyone to think that then nothing exists in this world. Right? So if there are no chickens, then there's no me, there's no dust, there's no pen, nothing exists in this world. We just, you know, we can't we can't talk about anything then, can we, Swami Nas? You might ask. No. What we need to understand is chicken is simply an arrangement of amino acids. That's it. So what's an amino acid then? Is that a thing? Is that the most, you know, is that the indivisible element? No. That again is an arrangement. Like we said, carbons, hydrogens, oxygens, and nitrogens. They're arrangement. Arrange them another way, and you get a completely different molecule. That's it. So what is a carbon then? <laughs> See? Again, it's an arrangement. It's an arrangement of electrons, protons, and neutrons. So what are protons, and electrons, and neutrons then? Once again, arrangements. 
that's the that's the concept that i need you to get into your heads it is simply an arrangement nothing it's not an entity it's not a fixed entity that's what we mean by that it's not a fixed entity a fixed entity is not an arrangement that can be reconfigured it's fixed put that's it done sorted it is not like that all things can be rearranged so why aren't things being rearranged all the time that is the, that is the, that is that is what energy does for as long as there's for there are forces acting on things right for as long as there's energy in an object in, in, in you know take out energy and you take out the ability the potential for change what energy does is it gives it the potential for change that is why when you want to reconfigure this you have to supply it with energy energy is what makes that change so energy is basically what reconfigures this so if you put it in this order perhaps maybe something else we don't need to know what it is and we don't even have to give it a name see things don't exist in this world just because you give it names you don't have to give things a name they exist they don't really exist what happens is these are what we call manifestations so what is a manifestation then it is simply the arrangement of matter energy helps it to take that form take that arrangement you know it, it is involved in the reconfiguration of matter so therefore you have energy and matter that's what the whole world is made of the entire cosmos right and in the entire universe right everything out there is an is an arrangement of matter driven by energy take out all the energy in this world and actually you don't even have matter after that because matter itself is energy condensed again for another day condense energy enough and you have you have matter but for the time being what you have is matter thanks to energy they they are held in that in that way so you see how do you melt something take take and take a block of ice that's that's matter arranged in a certain way right give it energy and then it becomes water so you have a different name now you don't call it liquid ice you just call it water give it more energy what happens steam you have vapor right that's another arrangement because there are bonds that are formed bonds that are broken right and so on right this is all energy that's doing it that is why we need energy that is why you have to give yourself energy you know that is why your bodies need energy so that it can form the structures that you are made of in other words it's not enough to just put stick some proteins into your body you need to give your body some energy so that it can do this reconfiguration as well but the point of all this ladies and gentlemen is to understand that you know when you walk in front of the mirror the next day the next time you do it right if you head back home today before you forget the things that we've spoken about today right when you head back home or you go into the washroom just look at yourself in the mirror for a second just look at yourself in the mirror for a second and ask yourself the question where's the chicken where's the chicken that you ate hmm? where's that chicken who are you then this face that you see your forehead your eyes your nose your lips hmm? your face your your body where is all that and now you might think i'm a male 
right? The females in the room will think, I'm a female, as you look at it. Did you eat any female to become a female? I mean, is it only if you eat a female chicken you can be female? Huh? Where's the femaleness in the chicken? Is that how it works? For you to, if you are a male, you must eat just male chickens, and if you are female, you have to eat female chickens. Is that how it works? No, you see, then that femaleness is not something in the food you eat, right? Yeah? Right, so imagine, you know, an animal caught you as prey. Right? You were in the jungle somewhere and the tiger caught you and now you're dead. You're a dead man. So now the tiger eats you. A lion, you know, it feasts on you. The flesh in your body. Right? You're a male. And the male, you're a male, but a female lioness eats you. What do you think is going to happen to the lioness in a few weeks? Is it going to start growing a beard? Huh? Is it going to start feeling like a male? Is it? No, so where's the femaleness in, the, in, in your flesh then? Which part of you is female, I ask you? Think about this, please. <laughs> I'm, I'm offering you all the answers on a plate. <laughs> Metaphorically on a plate, in fact, yes. You know, in these words, you'll find the answers that riddle your life. You know, today you look at someone of the opposite sex and you, you have these feelings that arise in your mind. There can be desire, there can be lust, perhaps. Where does it all come from? Because you think you're looking at a female. I ask you, which part of that female is the female that you perceive? Which part of a male is the male that you perceive? You might say, well, Swami Nansa, aren't there, aren't there special organs that make a female body a female body? Aren't there, aren't there you know, the, what we call the sexual organs that make the male body the male body? Where you talked about the chromosomes, and we know that X and Y going to make in a male, and an X and an X going to make in a female? No. They don't go into making the male and the female that you perceive as sentient beings. They're just blueprints for a configuration of matter. That's all it is. Ultimately, it's just carbons and hydrogens and oxygens and nitrogens and a configuration of it. That's it. That is what the chromosomes do. That's what the DNA do. That's what they do. That's why, you know, to, be, to feel more male, you don't eat male food, do you? To, eat more, to be more female, you don't eat female food. I mean, you could do that perhaps, you know, even if you could do that with, with animals, right? If, with meat and, and, and so on. What if someone's a vegetarian? Then what do they eat? How do you, how, you know, what a carrot, is it male or female? Or tomato, is it male or female? So someone who just eats, eats you know, vegetables and greens and stuff, you know, someone's a vegetarian, right? Or a vegan, right? How do they become male and female then? Because they're not stuffing anything male or female into their bodies. So how do they become male or female? Which parts of their body are male or female? It's just configuration of matter. That's it. One configuration, we conventionally have a name for it and we say that is female. Another configuration, conventionally we have a name and we call it male. And there's nothing wrong with that to have those names. Right? Even in the Vinaya, right? there, are, there are rules of conduct for us as monks and for bhikkhunis and so on. Right? There are rules of conduct. That is why when you come to us, we know we don't tie the piritnul around, around a, a woman's hand or a lady's hand. Because there are rules of conduct that we have to abide by. 
But as a, if, if a gent would approach us, then we would more than happily do so. These are rules of conduct. So this male-female division has always been there. And the Buddha accepted that. But he knew that it was just a convention. But we live in a conventional world, don't we? You know, we could all be arahants, fair enough. But the arahant is just the mind. But what about the non-arahants who see us, who look at us, who watch us and who observe us? Imagine, right, if all the monks and nuns started living under one roof in the same place, in the same temple, the same monastery, like we initially planned to have when we were back in the UK and we thought, you know, everything was just going to be fine, no problem. And the, and the whole world, you know, they were only saints. <laughs> how, how naive we were. Right? But, you know, people, they put us in, the, in our right place and said, no, that's not going to happen. That's not how you're going to be, right? You, the, the Anagarika Mahatmyas are going to be somewhere away from here. At least half a kilometer from here. Initially, we just had one big land with a fence. Actually, the fence came later. <laughs> we didn't even have a fence. But then, you know, what was wrong with our ways was explained to us by those who know. And rightly so. Because conventionally, we, you know, we have to adhere by convention. We have to adhere to convention. If not, people will, you know, they'll have a big problem with this. We, will not have, we would not have been able to spread the Dhamma as we do today if we went against convention. We would not have been able to do that. Because initially, people have to see that we conform to convention, right? And then they slowly and gradually, they come into the Dhamma. Just imagine for this for a second, right? If, like, imagine you were coming to the monastery for the, the first time, right? Your first visit to the monastery, you know nothing about us. If you saw me holding the hand of, say, a, a young daughter, or maybe an Anagarika Mahatmya, right? If you saw me holding a hand, what would you think? I ask you, would you come back? Would you? No, you wouldn't. You'll say, I lack virtue. That's what you'd say. You'd say, he's not, he's not very moral. And you wouldn't come back. So I wouldn't be able to give you the Dhamma. Because you see, the world is not full of arahants. The world is full of people who sense men and women, males and females, and males have feelings towards females and, fe and females have feelings towards males. That is what the world is about. So therefore, if they were to see, typically, I mean, right, typically, if they were to see a man and a woman together, they think, well, they think everything. I don't need to tell you what they think. That's what they think. So then they'll wonder, well, you know, they don't have the Dhamma. I mean, well, look at this. How can males and females be like this? They can't be like this. They have to be separate. How unvirtuous. So therefore, back then, the Buddha had to lay down strict rules of conduct. Because, remember, he didn't come into this world to teach the Dhamma to Buddhists. That's the thing. If he, were to, if he came to this world to preach the Dhamma to Buddhists, he probably wouldn't have had to do that. Because a Buddhist is someone who understands 
that there is there are no chickens in this world there are no men no women all there is is matter configured in a certain arrangement that's it that is what should be buddhist about you so now tell me then whose fi- whose right should be fight for the black or the white Whose rights should we fight for? Men's or women's? Who should have the right to vote? Men or women? Or both? That's why we've given up those fights. That is not the fight to be had. The fight to be had is the fight that we have to have with ourselves. You know, our selves. This perception of separation. because for as long as we feel that we are separate there'll always be boundaries right there'll always be singhalese and the tamils there'll be the buddhists and the muslims and the hindus and the christians i mean a chicken is a chicken christian or a muslim hmm but you tell me what then there is halal swami nasa and then there is kosher I used to work in a in a Jewish shop back when I was a young boy in in the UK and there we have kosher so that's uh, similar to halal it's the way they pr- prepare the meal uh, meat and so on food so i mean i'm not going to go <laughs> i'm not going to go much further because people could find this offensive right I, i don't mean to offend anybody i only mean to set people free by asking people to open their eyes and start to see the truth I mean, you know, matter is matter. Is <laughs> matter is matter. That's it. If there is no chicken in the chicken, I'm asking you where's the halal chicken? I'm not saying there isn't. Please spare me. <laughs> I'm just saying I'm asking the question, where is the halal chicken? I'm not saying there isn't. I'm just asking the question, which part of it is halal? Which part of it is holy? which part of it is pure which part of it is kosher and which part of it is non kosher so you ask me the question so i mean are you vegetarian you know what should one be vegetarian or non vegetarian <laughs> if all you are is matter reconfigured right how much does it matter what configuration that matter was before it went in if you're asking me the question is it right or wrong to kill i have the answer to you killing is wrong absolutely no questions killing is wrong don't take life killing is wrong but if you're asking me so i mean as a vegetarian or non vegetarian which one is a buddhist a good buddhist are they vegetarians or non vegetarians My question is my answer to that would be you're asking the wrong question. But don't kill. But a dead carrot and a dead chicken what's the difference? Hmm? An uprooted carrot and a dead chicken what's the difference? Where is the chicken where is the carrot? break it down and all you have are carbohydrates hydrogens oxygens nitrogens that's all you have this is a, just a configuration of it 
rearrange that configuration, you have something else. So can't you convert a carrot to meat? Of course, that's what rabbits do. Don't they? Yeah, so what does a rabbit DNA do? It takes carrot, takes grass, right? This is what herbivores do, right? They take the, you know, the, the green stuff, right? Vegetation, and they, they break it down. So you and I can't, you know, we struggle to do that, right? But these animals, they're sophisticated. They have a sophisticated gut, which enables them to do that. They have the enzymes that help them do that, the proteins that help them do that, right? They take the, the vegetation, break it down, and rearrange it in such a way that it becomes flesh, meat, on, on, on a dish, but flesh, essentially. So how is that possible? So did the, did the carrot become rabbit? You know, think about it. Is there a transformation? I mean, you know, we, we think of transformation in terms of X becoming Y. It's, is it X becoming Y or just a rearrangement? Because one arrangement you call it X, another arrangement you call it Y. This is not one coming after the other or one preceding the other. Remember the other day I asked you a question. How do you convert a plain tea to a milk tea? How do you make a milk tea? Is it by adding milk to a plain tea? Is that how you make a milk tea? By adding milk to a plain tea, you get a milk tea? That's not how it works. Because a, a plain tea is a plain tea on its own. Whatever the causes are that make up a plain tea, make a plain tea. And whatever the causes are that make a milk tea, make a milk tea. That's it. It's not that one becomes another. That is not how it works. When stuff gets put into your mouth, it's, it's broken down. And once it's broken down, you know, you, now you, you know, there's no telling where it came from. See, once it's become the amino acids, you can't say which animal it came from, can you? Once it's broken down to the amino acids, could you say that it is, it is, this is now, this amino acid is from a fish. This amino acid is from chicken. Can you say that? This is from a lamb. This is from a cow. Can you say that? No. Imagine as you're eating it, right, you bit a bit of your, uh, maybe the inside of your mouth or something. I know you, you bit a bit of your tongue and you swallowed that as well by mistake. Now is, the, is your gut going to distinguish between the chicken you ate and the cow you ate? No, you didn't catch that, did you? Right. Between the chicken you ate and the tongue you ate? Huh? Is your gut going to distinguish that? No, of course not. Because in your gut it's just proteins. That protein doesn't belong to anybody. So then where does this sense of belonging come? It's only in the mind. So now what can't, what can't you leave behind? The things that you believe belong to you. That's all you, you struggle to leave behind. You struggle to enter a life of renunciation because you, you feel that there is a, there's a thing that you have to renounce. You feel that there's a person you have to renounce. You have a husband that you have to renounce give up. You feel that you have a wife that you have to renounce or a son or a daughter that you have to renounce. I mean, give up. I'm saying yes, but not in that way. You just need to give up the, the perception that there is a son in that body. That is what you need to give up. That is the renunciation that we speak of here. That is why you have to let go of nothing. 
Once you understand that there is nothing, then you just have to let go of that. That's it. There are no entities to let go of. This, I, mean, I know I'm, I keep going, I'm, I'm going on about the same thing over and over and over again because you know, this is the penny that needs to drop. You know, if you can understand this concept, you don't, you don't need to come back here again. After that, you just interpret the world, every step you take, everything you look at, right? As you look up into the sky and see the stars and the suns and the moons, as you look into the ground and see the ground, you know, the earth, uh, the rocks and the, and the pebbles and everything there is, the streams, the rivers and all that, right? And as you look around you and you see the birds and the bees, right? You, all you got to do is perceive them correctly. Samaditi is that. Nothing in the world changes. Samaditi is just that. See, often you get the question, um, now when you used to come for Samma Samadhi, which was the meditation programs we, do, we do, used to do at the monastery, which we will start doing shortly again, you know, we used to ask you the question, explain Nibbana through this leaf, because you have to be able to explain Nibbana through anything that meets the eye, anything that is there. Can you explain Ditte Ditta Matta? Hmm? That is a question we ask you. Can you explain that? Can you explain Nibbana through this leaf? See, the other day I put a spell on the board, remember? What was it? Yadanichang Tandukkang. Yandukkang Tadanatta. Yeah, that was a spell. It's a very powerful karmastana. See if you can apply that to this leaf. If you can do it to this, you can apply it to anything. Because there are, no, there are no special objects to which you have to apply. You know, Nibbana doesn't have to happen in this monastery. It can happen everywhere. The reason I'm here is because I see the association of the Kalyanamitras. That is why I'm here. Nothing else. How do you apply Yadanichantandukkan Yandukkantadanatha to this? How do you see Nibbana through this? What is Nibbana to begin with? To see things as they are is Nibbana. Just seeing things as they are. Because in here is Nibbana. This is Nibbana. This is one-fifth Nibbana. Why do I say that? Rupa. Rupa is Nibbana. Rupa Abhisankara is not Nibbana. But Rupa is Nibbana. Rupa Upadana is not Nibbana. But Rupa is Nibbana. This is Rupa. There is no Upadana here. There is no clinging here. There is no Abhisankara here. There is no Rupa and Rupattaya here. It's just Rupa. So this is one-fifth rupa, so rather one-fifth nibbana. But the problem is this. As you look at this, you sense or you perceive a leaf. Right? You perceive a leaf. Now, as a botanist, perhaps you might know that there are cells that make this up. That is why, you know, understanding of science alone does not do the trick. It doesn't. So you can't get yourself a PhD in physics or chemistry or biology and then all of a sudden become a saint. An arahant. It doesn't work like that. That you need it from the Buddha. Because this is a problem with the mind, not with something out here. So studying this till the cows come home and it's not, it's not going to work. But let's see what this is. You know as a botanist, as a biologist, you will know that this is made up of cells. Fair enough. But if asked you, if I, if I were to ask you, you know, imagine this was a cell. If I asked you, what does this cell belong to? You will tell me it belongs to this leaf. Because you feel this cell belongs to this leaf. So everything about this leaf belongs to this leaf. 
See, you have a sense of belonging, don't you, about this leaf? You feel that this is all part of one unit, this one unit. It is more than just a knowledge, I'm talking about a perception. Knowledge is fine, that is just knowing something. Right? So if you give this to an Arahant and ask the Arahant, where did it come from? The Arahant would say it came from here. But what he doesn't perceive, or what she doesn't perceive, is that it is all part of a leaf and leaf alone, and this can only be part of this leaf. That they don't perceive. I'll give you a simple, um, a simple example, just to think about this. Think about this for a second, right? You answered the question when I asked you earlier, if I took this cap, and placed it on another pen, would you be okay with that? And you said, yes, it's fine, because the lid would, we would do just the same thing, right? And you're okay with that. You say that, though. Now, here's the next question. You have a son who's 10 years old. Your neighbor has a son who's 10 years old, right? So they're both sons, and they're both 10 years old. How about a swap? Some of you are like, oh, yes, please, I mean, sir. <laughs> No, but just, you know, all kidding aside, right? If I were to propose a swap, would you? Honestly? No. Because there is more than what meets the eye there. Your 10-year-old and the, and the 10-year-old next door, you know, they are both matter, muscle, bone, blood, vessels, right? Tissue, it, that's all they are made of. And in the mind... I comes into object, I comes into contact with an object and the, and the thought is born. Sound comes into contact with the ear and the thought is born. Taste comes into contact with the tongue and the thought is born. That is all that's going on there. But when asked to swap, you say, oh no, I'm not happy with that. Because this is my son and that is their son. See, where does that come from? Is it in the sun? It's not in the sun. If it were, you can't say it's in the sun because if it were... Swap your child in the hospital, unbeknown to you, and you would never identify it. You'd never know. You'd never know. Who knows? Maybe some of you were swapped at hospital. <laughs> you know, did you actually do a DNA check? No. Because you always assumed that your parents were your biological parents. You never checked it. You just took it by faith. They must be. Looking at them, you know, me, they probably, <laughs> I probably am their parents, their, their, their children, you thought to yourself. But you never tested it because, you know, you just need something to believe. That's it. The mind just needs a story. It just needs a story to believe. Right? But now come back to this leaf. Right? When I asked you, what leaf does this part belong to, you will tell me it's this leaf. That is that sense of belonging I'm talking about. The same feeling that you have about your son and you don't have about the next door son. You'll tell me that son belongs to those parents and this son belongs to me. I'm this child's parents. This is that sense of belonging. But do any of the cells in this leaf or in this part of the leaf, if this were a cell, if this were a cell, right? Do you think any part of this cell would be able to tell that it is part of this leaf? Would it? No. Do you think this leaf would be able to go and identify this part, this cell, and say that is part of me? Certainly not. So really, what you perceive does not exist in the outside world. They don't exist in the outside world. You know, your son, as much as you think that you are 
his son or his, his uh, father or mother, right? This is all that happens in your in your child. There's the body, right? And there's a mind. This is all that's going on. Yes, in this mind, because of ignorance and because of attachment, because of ignorance and attachment, jati happens just as much as it happens in yours. And when that jati happens, out of nowhere, well, it's not really out of nowhere, out of jati, out of avidya and tanha and upadana and bhava and so on, right? the dependent origination process, jati happens. And when that jati happens, the sense of belonging happens. This sense of self takes place. And then they look, at in, they look in the mirror and they look at this body in the mirror. right? And what they feel is, this is me. Because every movement that you make mentally, the body follows that, right? When you, when, you think to, when you want to raise your arm, you do it mentally, and in the mirror, the arm is raised. So you think, well, if this, if this agrees to all my commands, if it, if it, if it uh, answers to all my commands, then surely then this is me. This has to be me. And whenever you looked in the mirror, this is all you saw. Right? So you always thought, this is me. So therefore, you personified this figure. That is what happened. Never did you stop to think that, well, I ate chicken three weeks ago. Is this chicken then? You never stopped to think that. Because in your mind, it was no longer chicken. In your mind, it was you. Now in your son, jati happens just as much as jati happens in your mind. So when he looks at himself, he thinks this is him. When he looks at you, he thinks this is you. When you look at him, you think this is him. And when he looks at you, he thinks this is you. Excuse me. See, this is what happens. So now, you are family. This is me. My family, my children, my parents, my siblings, you know, we are family. But come back to the leaf. No part of this leaf senses belonging. No part of this leaf perceives belonging. These are purely individual units but held together by energy. That is why when I provide energy, that's what I can do. I can break those bonds. This is me providing energy. If I were able to put the energy back into it again, then these bonds would be reformed. But I can't. But here's what I can do. I can crush this whole thing up, put it by the root of a beetle leaf plant, and perhaps in three months' time, it'll be a leaf again. Because although I can't do it, in the leaf, there is a structure, there's a blueprint. In the beetle leaf plant, there's a blueprint that can absorb digested parts of this leaf and reconfigure it back into this leaf. See? Magic or logic? Pure logic. The magic is when you believe that this is all part of this leaf and it can't be anything else. That is the problem. See, the, the, the beetle leaf plant can take up parts of this leaf and it can go on to making lots of leaves. That's what it can do. Yeah, it can, t- it can take parts of this leaf as fertilizer laid down at its roots and, and make, you know, 300 leaves. And each leaf will contain a part of this, a part of the carbon that's in here, part of the nitrogen that's in here, part of the hydrogen that's in here, part of the oxygen that's in here, and anything else that's in here. It can contain part of it. That is why you are a combination of everything that's gone into making you. 
Everything you ate you know, throughout your lives, you know, this, is, this is all reconfigured, reconstructed, rearranged to form what you are today. See, when you exercise, what happens then? When you exercise, again, parts that are stored, right? The fat, the sugars that are stored, these are again molecules, right? They are brought back in, as like, say, glycogen, for instance, you know, how, how glucose is stored, right? It is brought back into the, into the system, broken down and consumed as energy. And that energy allows you to make these movements, for instance. That is what happens. That is why if you don't eat, you start thinning up. Because the stuff that is stored inside is converted to energy to keep you alive. But if, you, if you're docile and you just keep on stuffing yourself, then it starts building up. See, you're just a machine. Why call, it, why call yourself anything other than it? Why do you think when you look at yourself, I'm a person, I'm a man, I'm a human, I'm a, I'm a female? It's fine to give it a name conventionally, but the problem is when you think that I am me. That, you know, therefore, like I said earlier, you hold on to a girl's hand or a boy's hand, someone of the, of a, of the sex that you, are, you feel attracted to, and you feel this funny feeling that starts going all over your body. Where does that come from? It is not in the body because all you held was a piece of chicken three weeks ago. <laughs> it was a carrot two weeks ago. But hold the same carrot, touch the same chicken, you don't feel that. So when did you stop being chicken and start being your spouse or your fiancé? When did you start being that? See, it's all in the mind. <laughs> See, that is why I say, you know, we need to come to our senses. We live in this, in this fantasy of a world where we create the story that we like and then we, we, we enact that. We are the directors and we are the actors. We've written the script and we play in it. That's what we do. Keeps us, I, I was going to say sane, but actually it keeps us insane. This is, this is in, insanity. This is pure insanity. And Arahant is someone who understands this game. Having understood it, that game has stopped within their minds. They're no longer writing, writing out scripts. They're no longer directing it. They're no longer acting it. But conventionally, for as long as they live in and amongst us, you know, they will act as just pure, normal human beings. And Arahant will, you know, you won't be able to tell an Arahant from just by looking at one. Because it's not the body that became the Arahant. It was just the mind. All an arahant is, is jati having stopped. That's it. Nothing else. Ask the arahant what it is, it'll say it's a beetle leaf. That's it. No problem. So the, the distinction here is not the knowledge of beetle leaf. In fact, if you showed this to an arahant who's never been to school, can that not happen? Of course it can. Who was Sunita and Sopa Kamaratan once? Never been to school a day. Right? You show it to them and they'll be like, I don't know what this is. It looks like a leaf, but I don't know what you call it. This is a beetle leaf, Venerable Sir. Ah, okay, it's a beetle leaf. Now they know that this is a beetle leaf. In fact, what they know now is this configuration of matter is referred to as a beetle leaf. That is what they come to know. See, when we learn things about the world, that is how we need to learn things. When someone introduces you to, introduces you to Mr. Smith, okay, someone says, hey, I want you to see Mr. Smith. Here's Mr. Smith. What I want you to do from now on is if you can if you just make an attempt, try to see if, to, 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 to perceive Mr. Smith as just a configuration, 
of matter rather than an entity, a person. Don't identify them as a being. Identify them as a configuration of matter and there are chittas running inside it. See if you can try and do that. This is what I do with you. See, then if a part breaks, that's okay. Because that's not Mr. Smith breaking down. It's just matter coming off. Depart, you know, energy, change in energy. Just as much as this doesn't hurt you, right, in the same way, if you can sense, if you can perceive your child in the same way, right, when this happens to your child, it won't hurt you. But right now it does. When that happens to your mother, your beloved mother who's now on her deathbed perhaps, who's spending her last years, right, when that happens to your mother, you're going to be distraught. Why? Because you perceive a mother. You can't see a configuration of matter. She was what she ate. She still is what she ate. Whatever you fed her, whatever she fed herself, you know, that is what she is as a body. Of course, there's a mind. There's no argument about that, right? And the mind is what interacts. Yes, the mind is, but the mind is the mind. That's it. That is what the mind is. Right? The mind will simply perceive what's going on in the outside world. Objects, sight, sound, smell, taste, touch, and thoughts. The mind is just a reporter. That's what the mind does. So then why does my mother think that I'm her son? Well, for the same reason that you think you are her son. Or that she is your mother. It is because of jati. Not knowledge. Knowledge is fine. The great elder Sariputta, right, he, he went to see his mother. And he was, he was, he was an arahant back then. He went to see his mother before... He, he knew that, you know, this is my last few days alive, so I have to go and help my mother. He knew that he was going to see his mother. That is by knowledge. He knows that this configuration of matter and the chitta that runs within this body is what we refer to as mother. What we call mother. And the mother is special, yes, absolutely. Just like the Buddha is special, like the father is special. And there are ways in which, you know, karma works. Like, you, you know, the killing a mother is not the same as killing... You know, the chicken that she ate, it's not the same thing. Like, kill the chicken, you know, that's a papa karma, of course. But kill the mother, that's a anantariya papa karma. Just because she ate the chicken doesn't mean it's the same consequence by, by killing both. That's not how it works. That is because of virtue. That is because of the qualities. That, are, that, that, that is that the mind, that, is, that applies to the mind. That is because of that. Because, you know, the mother is not just, you know, it's not merely matter. There is the, there's the mind that works inside it, right? And then there are, there are, there are qualities that make the mother your mother. There's, there's compassion, there's kindness, there's generosity, right? All that enacted towards their child, there's all that. So what about an arahant then? If you kill an arahant, right? that's again a, a heinous sin. So there's a, there, there is a distinction there. That is again because of because of the qualities that are that 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 pertain or that 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 relate to that mind, and therefore if you if you if you depart or if you separate that mind from that body, then that is a heinous sin. But you know if you kill an animal, it's bad, but not as bad. 
But what we need to understand is, you know, the long and short of all this is, I need you to start focusing on yourselves. I need you to start thinking about who you are. Uh, the whole point of this morning session was to start to look at yourselves as simply whatever you've eaten reconfigured. Now you're going to have lunch in a bit, right? See, think about this. When we, when we have our meals, we do the Pratyaksha. Parisanka Yoniso, Pindapatam Patisevam, Yavadeva. Uh, sorry, I do it every day now, I can't remember it. <laughs> what is it? Remind me? Nevadavaya, sorry. Not Yavadeva, Sita, that is for the robe. Nevadavaya, Namadaya, Namandanaya, Vibhusanaya, right? See, this is a contemplation of on why we take food. This is the purpose of taking food. It is not to build the body, to make ourselves muscular or to look good, right? That is not what the purpose of taking food is. In that, in that reflection or the pratyaksha is the purpose behind eating food, why we take food. Now, you, do you have the answer to why all food can be eaten from the same arms bowl? Don't you have the answer to that now? Huh? If it all goes into the body, into the stomach, broken down and reconfigured, if that is the purpose of eating, then why does it matter which way it goes in? Well, then solids and liquids and all things can go in together. So what? But where's the objection? Mentally. Because the mind wishes to separate. In the mind you have starters and main course and dessert. All that separation is purely mental. Put it down, I mean it's mental certainly, it really is mental. But put it down into your stomach, right? When it starts digestion, right? When it goes into ingestion, right? And absorption and taking it into the cells, where is all that separation? Can you tell duck from chicken after you've eaten it? No, the same proteins. If you bit a bit of your tongue off, right? It's still again protein. You can't tell the difference inside. All that difference is only as long as the eye sees it and takes that message to the mind and the mind perceives all these differences. Because in the mind, the whole world is separate. There are entities in this world. There's you, there's me, there's them. There are males, there are females. There are blacks, there are whites, there are Asians, and there are Europeans. And there are, you know, it's all this separation. Because the mind wishes to separate. After all, that is why the mind was born in the first place. To identify things separately. But thanks to ignorance and attachment, you know, it just got out of hand. And now there's no end to be seen. But the world is not separate. None of the world is separate. As we've been able to tell. Just, just obs observing and studying the digestion process convinces us, doesn't it, that the world is not separate. There is nothing that is intricately and uh, intrinsically part of a particular object. There is nothing that is intrinsically part of an object. Everything can be reconfigured. That is what the digestion system and, and learning about it tells us. So you see, the world is never separate. You cannot split the world up as, as we do mentally. But what the mind does is it attempts to make that separation. Every time it tries to do it, it fails. Fails miserably. That is why you are never satisfied. That is why you can never be satisfied trying to achieve happiness and pleasure from the outside world. Because you are never going to get it. Because this separation can never happen. It only feels as if it's happening. It's not happening at all, really. Understanding that means you give up. That is what you give up. The attempt to separate. The yearning to separate. The need to separate. That is what you give up, not the objects. That is why I say, you know, use everything. 
own nothing. You know, if you can, if you can have that sort of lifestyle, you know, you are free. Use everything. Make use of everything you need. You know, if I have to travel somewhere one day, you know, I'm going to get on a jet because I can't fly. If you want to give me a helicopter, I'll go by helicopter. I can use everything. But in my mind, I own nothing. Because owning comes with a sense of belonging. And that sense of belonging cannot survive when ignorance and attach- attachment don't survive. But I have to use things. The body needs to use things. See, I have to use this robe. Conventionally, if you ask me, is this my robe? Yes, it is my robe. It'll have my number printed on it. Or woven to it, stitched to it. But mentally, emotionally, is it my robe? No, there is no such thing. I use it, but it doesn't belong to me. I don't own it. That is what I want you to do. So when you look at Mr. Smith, right? next time you see somebody, as you walk out, you see, you see people, you see the Swami is going on arms round. See, take a moment and see if you can, if you can spot matter reconfigured. I urge you, right? try and do that. Just at least for today, while you're here. When you see Guru Swami Nuhase coming from afar, and as he walks into the Dhamma Hall, see if you can see matter reconfigured. Yes, there's a chitta, which is very pure, because of his reflection and contemplation on the Dhamma. right? But purity is in freeing the mind from ignorance and attachment. That's all it is. So there's a pure mind that runs in a body, and the body is just reconfigured. I mean, the mind is the same. It's just, again, energy, reconfigured. We can, we'll talk about it again another day. After all, it's just all energy just reconfigured. The mind and the body are again one. It's just reconfigured. As I said, you know, condense energy enough and you get matter. Right? That's, that's how it works. Condense energy enough and you get matter. But energy itself, you have pure energy. And then that energy alone can go into making the chitta, rupa, vedana, sanya, sankara, vijnana. This is all energy as well. So it's all energy. But energy itself is anicca, meaning it's all just configuration. Energy is also configuration. That is why the electricity that comes into your homes can be used to power your fan. Reconfiguration. Yeah. But is mechanical energy the same as electric energy? Conventionally, we have to agree they're different. Because their qualities are different, their characteristics are different. In one, into one, you can apply the formula of, uh, uh, say, uh, uh, electrical charge. You can work that out. Whereas mechanical energy, you can you can work out maybe how fast something rotates. Different forms of energy. Then there's light energy. There's sound energy. Plug electrical energy into your into your speaker, and you can say how many how many decibels it is. But the electrical wire itself, you know, you can tell, you can talk about the voltage or maybe the, the, the current. So in different forms, they'll have different characteristics. But it's just reconfigurations. That's it. And that is why one energy can be converted again to another energy. To this, even to the same source, back again. That's all possible. You know, you know that energy cannot be destroyed, right? Nor created. All there is is conversion from one to the other. In fact, it's not conversion from one to the other. What's really going on is reconfiguration, rearrangement. That's it. Just as matter is the same. So, you know, the nitrogen molecule or the atom that you consumed from the piece of chicken that you ate today, right, could be a nitrogen atom in a dinosaur. 
so many million years ago. Because it's the same atoms that just keep recycling. And that atom itself, electrons, protons, and, ele and neutrons, you know, those electrons, protons, and neutrons can come from various atoms. So there is never anything that belongs to something. All there is, is just cause and effect. The effect manifests. Yeah? The effect manifests. When we observe that effect, we give it names, but that should merely be convention. Don't fool yourselves, or don't allow yourselves to be fooled that what you see as one manifestation is an entity. But you can't help it for as long as jati happens in the mind, because jati is the mind's way of separating things into, into entities. That is what the mind does. That is what jati does to the mind. But knowing, having understood that that doesn't really exist out there, you can free yourself from that. And then along with that, the 11 great fires cease as well. Simple. Welcome to the sasana. All right. So that's all the time we have for today. I hope that sermon and talk has been educational, if nothing else. And enlightening. So the task for you, as you step outside, go for arms today. And as you have your meal today, right? think about this. Contemplate on this. As you have your meal today, when you mix your paripu and your rice and your whatever is going to be served this afternoon, as you mix them together, right? now you've seen the video. You know what goes on, right? In six hours' time, your gut will be empty. Because all that will have gone into your intestines and it will be broken down. This machine, the moment you put stuff into it, it starts breaking it down. That is what the digestion process does. Break it down so that it can be done what with? <laughs> Rearranged. Because you have, there's no point giving you paripu. Dal is not going to do anything for you. It has to be rearranged. After all, what do you take in when you say you're, you're eating dal? Proteins, carbohydrates. That is what you need. Now, you don't need dal. You don't need rice. You don't need string hoppers. You don't need that. You don't need chicken, really. You don't need chicken. What you need are the molecules that make it up so that they can be rearranged inside. I mean, if you could eat pure molecules, just the molecules itself, carbons, hydrogens, oxygens, right? If you could just eat those atoms, you wouldn't have need to have such a sophisticated digestion system because then you could just simply pump it into the blood and the blood along with the DNA and, the, and all the, you know, the, the transcriptions and the translations, it will start forming those uh, components that are required for the body. But all this digestive system, you know, intestines, the large ones, the small ones, the pancreas and the ducts and all these, 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 these tools that are inside there are simply to break things down. So much breaking down has to happen before it can be reconfigured to form what you are today. So think of yourselves in that way. Then you'll understand you're just a machine. This is just a machine. So why do you call it, why do you call it you? Why do you call it, your, you know, yourself? Why do you say this is me? Huh? Why do you say that? It's just your perception. So contemplate on that as you have your lunch this afternoon. All right. Let us take a moment then to transfer all the merits that we have acquired by listening to the Dhamma and engaging in various meritorious deeds today and making offerings to the infinite virtues of the Noble Triple Gem. Let us take this moment to transfer all those merits to those who deserve it. First and foremost, let us remind ourselves how incredibly fortunate we are to be in receipt of the Lord Buddha's teaching. And with immense gratitude, let us transfer these merits to the bhikkhus and bhikkhunis, upasakas and upasikas, who have since time immemorial protected and preserved the sublime teachings of the Buddha 
and passed it down through the generations of the noble lineage in the form of the Tripitaka, which is thankfully available to us today to study, understand and comprehend the Dhamma. Let us also transfer the merits we have acquired to all members of the Mahasangha present throughout the world, including the chief prelates of all of the chapters who have dedicated their lives to the noble path and have committed themselves towards the betterment of all sentient beings. Let us not forget that amongst them are the monks and nuns resident in your local temples and nunneries who have always been by your side through thick and thin, come rain or shine. Let us also take a moment to transfer these merits to my teacher, Guru Swami Nuhanse, as well as all the monks resident at the monastery and the Anagarik and Anagarikas attached to the monastery. Let us also take a moment to transfer these merits and express our gratitude to those who make great efforts to disseminate the teachings of the Buddha, be that by translating these talks, sharing them out with others or inviting others to join them. And may by the power of these merits, if any of them have been born in the woeful plains, they redeem themselves and be born in the blissful plain. May they abstain from the unmeritorious deeds, fulfill the meritorious deeds, fulfill the noble eightfold path and attain the supreme bliss of Nibban. Sadhu, sadhu, sadhu. Let us also take a moment to transfer the merits we have acquired to our devotees and friends of the monastery, who for the sake of merits to help them attain the supreme bliss of Nibbana, continue to sustain the Mahasangha. This includes everyone from those of you who contribute to the construction of the monastery, to those who provide the Mahasangha with shelter, arms, robes and medicines, as well as those who continue to extend their well wishes and pass on their know-how. May through the power of these merits they abstain from the unmeritorious deeds, fulfill the meritorious deeds, fulfill the noble eightfold path, and may they all attain the supreme bliss of Nibban. Sadhu, sadhu, sadhu. Let us also take a moment to transfer these merits to our mothers and fathers, husbands and wives, brothers and sisters, sons and daughters, grandparents, uncles, aunts, cousins, nephews and nieces, our elders, friends and acquaintances, our teachers, our employers and employees, and to all those who have helped us, supported us, and assisted us in any way, shape or form. And by the power of these merits, may they be healed of any physical and mental ailments and overcome any obstacles to their spiritual progress. May they abstain from the unmeritorious deeds, fulfill the meritorious deeds, fulfill the noble eightfold path, and may they all attain the supreme bliss of Nibbana. Sadhu, sadhu, sadhu. Let us also take a moment to transfer these merits to the devas and brahmas, spirits and demons, primarily the Sakha Deva, as well as all the Nimas, gods and deities who protect and fulfill the Samudasasana. Let us transfer merits to our guardian deities who keep a watchful eye over us and keep us out of harm's way. Let us transfer these merits to them and may by the power of these merits they prosper in divine power and wisdom. May they abstain from the unmeritorious deeds, fulfill the meritorious deeds, fulfill the noble eightfold path and may they all attain the supreme bliss of Nibbana. Sadhu, sadhu, sadhu. Let us also take a moment to transfer these merits to our ancestors and those who have passed away in our name, to those who have predeceased us, to all those who have been families, friends and acquaintances in this infinite long journey in Sansara, and to those who have helped us, supported us and assisted us along the way. Let us transfer these merits to the members of the armed forces as well as the police force who sacrifice their lives to protect the peace and harmony of our nation, made by the power of these merits. If any of them have been born in the woeful plains, they redeem themselves and be born in the blissful plain. May they abstain from the unmeritorious deeds, fulfill the meritorious deeds, fulfill the noble laid-fall path, and may they all attain the supreme bliss of Nibbana. Sadhu, sadhu, sadhu. Let us also take a moment to transfer these merits to those who might have passed away in the wars, be they friend or foe. Let us also transfer these merits to those who lost their lives in natural disasters and calamities such as tsunamis and earthquakes, landslides, forest fires, blizzards, and so on. And by the power of these merits, if any of them have been born in the woeful plains, they re redeem themselves and be born in the blissful plain, reminding ourselves that in this infinite long journey of samsara, they'll have been brothers and sisters to us, mothers and fathers to us, friends, acquaintances, those who've helped us, supported us, assisted us in this long journey. May they all rejoice in these merits. They abstain from the unmeritorious deeds, fulfill the meritorious deeds, fulfill the noble eightfold path, 
and may they all attain the supreme bliss of Nibbana. Sadhu, sadhu, sadhu. And finally, may by the power and blessings of all the maids we have acquired throughout the day, we be able to witness the advent of many hundreds of thousands of arahants on this blessed land. And finally, may you and I and everyone who's helped make this program a success become an arahat unvahanse or an arahat teraninvahanse in this very life itself and in the era of the Gautama Supreme Buddha itself. Sadhu, sadhu, sadhu. May the blessings of the Noble Triple Gem be with you all. The members of the Mahasangha will transfer their blessings to you. Raga Ginnaidatva Dvesha Ginnaidatva Moha Ginnaidatva Nibbana Parana Sukhayan Sukita Tarvatma Nibbana Parana Sukhayan Sukita Tarvatma Mamada Sialu Loka Sialu Satmayo Nibbana Parana Sukhayan Sukita Tarvatma Nibbana Parana Sukhayan Sukita Tarvatma Nibbana Parana Sukhayan Sukhita Tarvatma Raga Gini Veva Desha Gini Veva Moha Gini Veva Nivan Sapalaleva Nivansapalaleva Nivansapalaleva Tunluange Suvisyamanta Mahaguna Bilin Silu Loka Silu Satyoma Nibbana Paramasakin Sukhita Sadhu Sadhu Sadhu